Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you this morning. I'd encourage you to find the attendance pads that are in each of the pews and uh, fill those out, pass them to others worshiping next to you so that they can fill those out as well. And uh, as you do that, welcome to those who are worshiping online with us. We're glad that you have joined us for this time of worship. The uh, ham loaf sale is coming up, and the order forms are due this Thursday. So if you're uh, ordering ham loaves and haven't gotten that order in yet, make sure you get it into the office by this Thursday. All of our, or- all of our sales this year are pre-order only, so uh, make sure that you get those in. There's also plenty of volunteer opportunities. We need lots of people uh, to help out. So if you're able to help with that, uh, that is on the form as well. You can mark uh, how you want to volunteer to help with that to raise money for missions. Uh, all of the other announcements are, are in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to look that over and take it with you as you leave so that you uh, know the things that are coming up. We are here today to worship our God. I invite you to be in an attitude of worship. I invite you to stand as you are able as we join together in the call to worship. Listen and hear all you people of the book. There is one God who created all time and space. Our Our hope hope is in God, who made heaven and earth. earth. All All creatures of the land and sea come come from from God. God. You shall love God with all your heart and soul. You shall honor God with all your mind and strength. We We will praise God as long as we live. live. We will sing of of God's God's glory all through our lives. lives. A second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God God watches watches over strangers strangers and and widows and and orphans. We We honor God by honoring these, our sisters and brothers. Our opening hymn this morning is, We have a story to tell the nations in the hymnal number 569.
Please be seated. And if you would, join me in the opening prayer as we read together, printed in the bulletin. Let us pray. Reigning God, you have viewed the work of your hands. Where there is justice for the oppressed, we sense your presence. Where the hungry are fed, we know the providers are working with you. You set prisoners free and open the eyes of the blind. You lift up those who are bowed down and sustain the righteous with your love. We worship a God who is living and active. The satisfaction of our successes. Focus now on all that is worthy of our praise. Amen. Our prayer hymn this morning is Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. In the hymnal, it's number 361. bow for a moment of silent prayer. O Lord, rock of ages, God of glory, we come to you now empty, for we have nothing to offer you compared to all that you have given us. Indeed, all that we have 
is a gift from you, a gift of your grace, of your love. Lord, we come before you in worship, not because we are worthy, but because you have called us. You have laid your claim upon us. And despite all that we have done wrong, the many times we have sinned, you have continued to call out to us. You have continued to redeem us. So forgive us once again, Lord. Restore us once more to your gracious presence. Lord, you have heard us this morning as we have sung your praise, as we have sung our prayers, as we have lifted up to you the concerns on our hearts. And we know, Lord, that you have heard us. And we know that you are a good and gracious God. We know that you are a powerful Lord. And so we thank you. Even before we see our prayers answered, we thank you because we know that you indeed will answer them to our greatest good. And so we trust you now in all of those things. We trust you in all of our ways that you may continue to show us the path forward, that we may continue to follow as your people, both as individuals and as your church, your church that you have established to bring your name upon the earth, to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that that is indeed what happens through our ministry and our witness here, that others would come to know the truth of the gospel and be saved by that one name that is given for all who will be saved, Jesus the Christ. It is in his name that we offer our worship and our prayer as we pray to you now, lifting up the words that he has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come and, and pass the plates as we present ourselves to God through the giving of our tithes and offerings.
pray with me the prayer of dedication. Receive from us, O God, the best we have to give. All we have comes from you. We return a portion with joy to accomplish the work we intend to do together in your name. We bring ourselves as well to be blessed by you so that while we are apart, our words and deeds will continue to be a significant offering. May our lives praise you. Amen. Please be seated. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for that beautiful song. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the gospel, which is printed in your bulletin. We're reading this morning from Mark 12, 28 to 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there are no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the year 1741, John Wesley wrote a sermon he titled, The Almost Christian. The scriptural text for the sermon was Acts 26, 28, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. In the first half of the sermon, Wesley considers what it means to be almost a Christian. And here are some of the things he concluded. First, the almost Christian has a degree of what Wesley referred to as heathen honesty. Heathen honesty is that sense of honesty that is common to all good and decent people, regardless of their religion. A basic sense of justice, that robbing your neighbor is wrong, that it is not okay to cheat someone for your own benefit. A belief that slander and false accusations and willful lies are to be shunned. All people with a sense of morality can agree on these basic principles. And so a person who is almost a Christian will live by these principles with integrity. Furthermore, the almost Christian will have a degree of concern for his neighbor. She will give to to charity, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, tend to the sick. He will work tirelessly, not just for his own gain, but for the good of society. She will be an advocate for justice and an opponent to all forms of ungodliness that degrade society. The almost Christian will avoid gluttony of every kind and be an example of moderation and peace. The almost Christian will be endowed with a form of godliness, what Wesley calls having the outside of a real Christian. Listen to how he describes this. Accordingly, the almost Christian does nothing which the gospel forbids. He taketh not the name of God in vain. He blesseth and curseth not. He sweareth not at all, but his communication is yea, yea, nay, nay. He profanes not the day of the Lord, nor suffers it to be profaned, even by the stranger that is within his gates. He, is, he not only avoids all actual adultery, fornication, and uncleanness, but every word or look that directly or indirectly tends thereto. Nay, and all idle words, abstaining both from all detraction, backbiting, tail-bearing, evil speaking, from all conversation that is not good to the use of edifying. He goes on to talk about how the almost Christian has not only the outward appearance of godliness, but also attends to all the means of grace. He participates in worship every week and and doesn't just attend for the sake of appearance, but actually pays attention. She receives the Lord's Supper with reverence. He has family prayer. She studies the Bible. The almost Christian does everything that God commands a person to do and avoids doing anything that God commands a person not to do. And they do it all with sincerity, not begrudgingly, but with a sincere desire to seek God and to please only Him. As Wesley goes on and on about the life and the manner and the devotion of the almost Christian, you begin to wonder if this standard is attainable by anyone, if any of us could possibly live up to being the type of person he's describing. And to think that this person he is describing is not a full-fledged Christian, but only just an almost Christian. Wesley concludes his sermon, this section of his sermon, with, with the following confession I did go thus far for many years, as many of this place will testify, using diligence to eschew all evil and to have a conscience void of offense, redeeming the time, buying up every opportunity of doing all good to all men, 
constantly and carefully using all the public and all the private means of grace, endeavoring after a steady seriousness of behavior at all times and in all places. And God is my record before whom I stand, doing all this in sincerity, having a real desire to serve God, a hearty desire to do His will in all things, to please Him who called me to fight the good fight and to lay hold of eternal life. Yet my own conscience beareth witness in the Holy Ghost that all this time I was but almost a Christian. John Wesley had attained to a level of devotion and faithfulness that most of us couldn't even imagine for ourselves, and yet all that time he was just almost a Christian. The scribe in our gospel lesson for today was almost a Christian. At the end of the passage, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He didn't say you're in. He didn't say you've made it. Now you can relax and enjoy the fruits of your labor. He said you are not far from the kingdom. Not far at all. You're almost there. But you're not there yet. The scribes were a class of people who were responsible for overseeing and maintaining the written manuscripts of Scripture. Printing presses and copy machines didn't exist. If you wanted to read the Scriptures, you had to depend on a handwritten copy. The scribes were responsible for those handwritten copies, making sure that the Scriptures were being passed on accurately and faithfully. As such, the scribes were experts in the Jewish Scriptures. They knew everything that was in there, where to find it, what it said, the scribes knew every commandment that God had given. This particular scribe in Mark 12 comes to Jesus and asks which commandment is first of all. Other religious experts had asked Jesus the same or similar questions, and sometimes in an attempt to trap him. Matthew says that the Pharisee, the Pharisee sent a lawyer to ask Jesus this question to test him. There's no indication of that in this episode from Mark. The scribe comes across as genuine and sincere. Sometimes Jesus responded by turning the question back on the one who asked it. In Luke 10, when a certain man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked, responded by asking him, what is written in the law? What do you find there? To which the man then quoted the same two verses of Scripture that Jesus was so fond of quoting. He doesn't do that here. He, he doesn't turn the question back on the questioner. He doesn't beat around the bush. He, he accepts this as a straightforward and legitimate question, and he gives a straightforward response. The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe in this case agrees with Jesus. You are right, he says. Not that Jesus was waiting for someone else to tell him he was right. He knew he was right. He is the authority. He's the one behind the entire law himself. But this scribe who considered himself an authority says that Jesus gave the right answer. He, re he repeats, the, the scribe repeats the, the two laws which Jesus had cited. And then he adds this. This is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The law of God contained provisions for making offerings and sacrifices because God knew from the beginning, before he ever gave the law to his people, that they would not be able to keep the law perfectly. So within that law, God included commandments related to sacrifices and offerings as a way of removing guilt and sin, bringing the people back into right relationship with himself, giving his people this sacrificial system of atonement was a wonderful grace of God. But there was a problem within it. The problem wasn't on God's side, but on our side, the human side. And the problem is this. All of the sacrifices and burnt offerings in the world can't do anything to change the heart of a person whose heart is not right. If you stole something, or, or if you told a lie... You incurred guilt. The, the guilt offering could deal with that. You, you brought sin upon your being. The sin offering could wash you clean of that. 
but only if you were truly repentant and presenting the sacrifice as a sign of your commitment to return to God's ways. But if you decided that you really liked stealing and you wanted to continue living in lies, if you decided that you liked your ways better than God's ways, so you would just go on living your way, the way that you wanted, regardless of what God had to say about it, then the burnt offerings and the sacrifices were useless. They didn't mean a thing. If you love yourself more than you love God and neighbor, that's a problem of the heart. Only a softened heart and a transformed mind could solve that problem, not a trip to the temple. But this was the problem that Israel had gotten themselves into. They, they relied on that temple system, the structures of offerings and sacrifices. They relied on that to deal with their guilt and sin so that they didn't have to really worry about how they were living. So that they could live however seemed best to them without giving their hearts and their lives over to God. The two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it really means to honor and follow God. And there was nothing that the temple system could do to make up for that, for disregarding that. The scribe knew this. The scribe knew this. He, he understood that the commandments to love God and love neighbor are more important than all the rest of the law. This is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, he said. Jesus saw the wisdom of this scribe. Seeing that he answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far from the kingdom, but he wasn't there yet. What was he still lacking? What he was still lacking was the heart actually filled with love of God and love of neighbor, such that there is no room left in it for sin of any kind. That is what was commanded, and it is the fulfillment of that which is required for entry into the kingdom. It's not enough to know that these are the two most important laws, to agree intellectually that that this is what is required, to assent to the belief that this is what truly matters, one has to actually live up to the commands. One has to actually be filled with this love. One's heart must be changed such that the love of God and love of neighbor are the defining moments, motives of one's every thought and word and deed. And this perfect love, this perfect love that is required cannot be accomplished through ritual offerings and sacrifices made at the temple. It can only be accomplished by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who ever had or ever could have the kind of perfectly loving heart commanded in the law. And he proved that love. He, he, he brought it to fulfillment to completion, to perfection on the cross. This passage from Mark 12 takes place in Jerusalem during the last week before the crucifixion. Jesus was focused entirely on what he was about to endure for the sake of the world. But not just for the sake of the world, for the sake of each and every individual person who would receive the sacrifice he was about to make. For people like the scribe in this passage. When Jesus told him, you are not far from the kingdom, entry into that kingdom had not been opened yet. But it very soon would be. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, but he was almost there. Once Jesus had fulfilled what he was about to endure, then the way to the kingdom would be opened for people like the scribe in this passage. If he would see and believe in what Jesus was doing on the cross, if he would accept that sacrifice as the perfect and final atonement for his sin, all of his sin, and the cleansing of his unrighteousness, all of his unrighteousness, 
if he allowed the love of Christ poured out in his blood upon the cross, if he allowed that love to penetrate his heart and to define his life, then he would be saved. This scribe, he was diligent about keeping his religion, following all the commandments as best he could. He even understood that love is the key to it all. But even with that devotion and even with that proper understanding, he still wasn't quite ready for the kingdom. What he still needed was the sacrifice of full and perfect love given only in Jesus Christ on the cross. The altogether Christian, as opposed to the almost Christian, The altogether Christian is one who has received the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and has experienced that change of heart and that fullness of love that comes only from faith in Christ alone. Once a man has thrown himself upon the mercy of Christ, proclaiming only in you can I find salvation, only through you may I find peace. Once a woman has received that assurance and love of Christ which changes everything, then that person is no longer almost, but is truly altogether a Christian. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that he is perfect from there on out. That doesn't mean that she will always feel that fullness of love in each moment. He may sin again. She may continue to stumble. But never again will they consider the atoning sacrifice an excuse for selfishness or a license to sin. Someone who has a true saving faith in Jesus Christ has had his heart turned toward God such that he detests sin, just as God does. Someone who has truly received grace upon grace in Jesus Christ has had her heart turned toward neighbor such that she can no longer disregard the cry of the needy and the plight of the unsaved. Someone who has been saved in Jesus Christ has had their old self crucified in Him so that their new self is found only in the life and the love of Jesus. I don't know if you are aware that today is a holiday. I'm not talking about Halloween. Although it is that too. In Protestant churches, October 31st is commemorated as Reformation Day. It was on October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther, who was at that time a monk in the Roman Catholic Church, posted his 95 theses, sending them to the Archbishop of Mainz and nailing them to the door of All Saints Church. The 95 theses were quickly reprinted, distributed all throughout Germany, other parts of Europe, And it was because of these 95 theses and his refusal to recant them that Martin Luther was eventually excommunicated from the Catholic Church, giving birth to the Protestant Reformation. What Luther was complaining about in his 95 theses were the abuses and false practices within the Catholic Church, primarily the selling of indulgences. The church taught that rather than going straight to heaven or hell when you die, a person's soul would go to a place called purgatory where they would work off their sins for however many years it took them to become perfect enough for heaven. An indulgence was money that you could pay to the church in order to reduce the amount of time that your loved one had to spend in purgatory. Aside from the fact that that is completely unbiblical teaching, Luther complained that the effect of indulgences was that People relied on their monetary offerings for salvation rather than giving themselves over to Christ in true repentance. What Christ demands is true inward repentance, a repugnance of sin, a change of heart, all of which lead to an outward change in behavior. But if I can buy my way into heaven, then none of that's necessary. Which takes us right back to the problem of the Old Testament temple sacrifice system. I just bring my sacrifice or offering when I'm supposed to bring it, and then I can go on living life for myself. That 
it's not going to work. Why is that not going to work? Because you cannot simply buy your salvation. The just punishment of sin is death. Eternal death. Forever separation from God and torment everlasting. You don't have enough money to buy your way out of that. Jeff Bezos doesn't have enough money to buy his way out of that. Even if he gave it all away. The only thing that can pay the price of sin is death. And Jesus Christ has already paid that price for us. The two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can never fulfill those two commandments perfectly. Only Christ can. And you can never give enough or or sacrifice enough or, or be a good enough person to make up for failing the law of love. Only Jesus can do that. Until you receive His sacrifice as the only one that can save you, until His love and His grace washes over you, giving you a new and right heart, then you are still, no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how faithful you are in everything that you do, no matter how sincere you are in all of your religious practices, you are still only almost a Christian. You are not far from the kingdom, but you're not getting in yet. Go all the way. Go all the way. Become an altogether Christian. Put your faith in the One who is perfect love. Jesus the Christ. Depend upon Him for your salvation. Allow Him to transform your heart. To fill it with His love. A love which didn't just come close to the goal. A love which doesn't just get us almost there, but which takes us all the way into the Kingdom. Because He went all the way to the cross for you, for me. Thanks be to God. I invite you to stand as you're able as we sing our closing hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, number 504.
is on that old rugged cross that perfect redeeming love is found. May that love of Christ shed forth on the cross be shed forth in your heart. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.